This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, a very good morning to you. You're listening to The Morning Run. It's six o'clock in the morning on Friday, the 6th of May. I'm Philip C. And in the studio with me is the incredible Ku Su Chuang <laughs> and the indomitable Tan Chen Lee. You Good didn't morning. finish the sentence. Incredibly what? <laughs> <laughs> dot, dot, dot. I leave that to your imagination, Chuang. Well, this is the morning rant, but we aren't running today. We are like those aunties in your taman helping you power walk your way to the weekend. Friday, guys, wasn't this such a long week? Oh, yeah, man. I'm definitely not the auntie, okay? You're not the auntie? <laughs> long Sometimes holidays, I... short on working days. <laughs> well, I wish we had this week rep- replicated every week, I think. But yes, we have a very packed show today, don't we, guys? At 7.15... We'll be continuing the discussion on digital banking license winners with Chan Jit Hong. He's a senior analyst at Hong Leong Investment Bank. You know, this was the announcement, I think, that came through last Friday about the award of those five winners. We've had so many conversations on this, guys. So this is a continued conversation as we unpack the winners and also the losers. At 7.30, Chen Li, what do we have? 7.30 is also something very interesting because we have been watching the Elon Musk and Twitter saga. And there's a continuation to that as well. We'll be speaking to Ashley Kim, senior associate analyst at Bloomberg Intelligence Technology team on what's happening and what's the latest update. Didn't he just secure some additional financing he to make did. that work? He did. And on top of that, there's also some uh, regulatory uh, development over there. So we'll we'll talk about that later at 7.30. Well, one of the things I think Elon Musk is quite uh, has that conviction with Twitter is for freedom, right, of mm. expression. So freedom we of also, speech, yes. Freedom, freedom of speech. And I think that conversation then extends into 7.45. We, we talk about press freedom, right, Chuang? Yeah, we saw how Malaysia fell down a few rungs in the World Press Freedom Index. So, of course, we will continue that discussion with Ding Joanne. She's the advisor at the Centre for Independent Journalism at uh, 7.45. Yeah, I think you're building on that on that ranking that came out, I think, over the weekend where we saw Malaysia's ranking fall quite precipitously, right? Sub, 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 substantially over there. Yeah, uh, we're, we're well into the hundreds now. Like, let's just that way. <laughs> Were we ever out of the hundreds? I know. Unfortunately, <laughs> no. we don't have a thousand nations, right? Yes. I think we've got about two 270 at last count, so we're doing quite well. Okay. We're falling quite well, yeah. Mm, okay, I, that, that's subject to interpretation. But I think, as you can see, guys, we have a very packed show for you today. We'll be discussing, discussing all that and more after this on the show. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. That was Sweet Home Alabama by Leonard Skinner, dedicated to all of you that just returned back from your Balik Kampong. Now, I wonder if you enjoyed those sweet treats or were you pained by the sour comments from your in-laws asking you to buck up and sort out your life after the pandemic? <laughs> Not just in-laws, right? Relatives, <laughs> your relatives, aunties. <laughs> but I think the ire is very much targeted at the in-laws. No, I mean, I've seen the BFM WhatsApp group and a lot of complaints about the in-laws experience so far <laughs> as they came back from Bali Kampong. But in any case, this is The Morning Run. I'm Philip C. And I'm here today with Ku Su Chuang and Tan Chen Li. Now let's get to the first story of the day. And Chuang, since you're the oldest among us by such a huge margin. <laughs> the question I want to pose to you is, are you contemplating retirement? No, I don't think anybody should ever retire. But, I think people should... Why? But you're you half so? retired, aren't you? No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. It's all about semantics, right? Um, no, uh, I think that people should continue to work until, you know, until they can, until, you know, as long as possible to keep the brain as fertile as ever. Yeah, um, yeah. I think that's the choice you make, right, about the... You choose not to retire. And I also, I sit in the same category as you, which is that I would like to make myself a productive member of society and contribute as long as I possibly and physically can. What do you laugh at as you said that? I mean, I mean, I, I would define productivity very subjective depending on 
you as a person. But I think this article we, we picked out from the Wall Street Journal really is the challenge that inflation and the rising cost of living is causing a lot of Americans to unretire. And I suspect that issue is also happening here in Malaysia. Yeah, I mean, I, I see that house prices in America have risen by, I think, 5% in the last, you know, it's, it's gone up so much in the last six months that it's highest in 30 years. Yes, and even food borrow- and energy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even yeah. house prices, car prices, used car prices, they've gone through the roof. Yeah, so like basic necessity of life, like food and food uh, food and energy are two things that I think is forcing a lot of people or or not to say force, are making a lot of people yeah. to come out from their retirement. And I think a lot of people has uh, taken the retirement path in the past two years because, you know, there was this great resignation and also people rethinking about life and thinking that maybe I should just do my retirement earlier. Mm-hmm. But because of the inflation situation, which is what's highlighted in the Wall Street Journal podcast here that we're talking about, um, is inflation because its inflation number in the US is like 8.5% the last we checked. And it was it, it, that's really tough on a lot of people because if you're uh, re, uh, dependent on a fixed pension that uh, we receive monthly, is that sufficient to cover your living cost? Yeah, I think there's two other factors at play. The first is that you know a lot of people have 401ks, right? Your investment, retirement investment plan. <clears throat> the way the markets have behaved in the last, let's just say since November, yeah. it's been off the scale. So 401ks have been pummeled, right? So so their returns on the investment portfolios have been distressing, to say the least. The returns haven't been great. Dividends have been kind of like held back, right? Yeah. So that's one thing. The second thing, I think, is that people have been lulled into complacency by this whole resignation thing. They've been told that resignation is good for you. You retire early, you've got your other life in front of you. People got bored. So yeah. they want to come back to the workplace and then they realise re- um, retirement is not what it is or what it was meant to be. So they've come back. You're absolutely right. I think I see that <coughs> resonate also in Malaysia. Many, many people also struggle to get back to the workforce, you know, after getting out of it for such a long time. You make a very interesting point just now, Chuang, that the volatile equity markets we see now is affecting pension funds, which is really a huge source of funding, right, for the markets. And because of the volatility, people are basically being very nervous about their retirement funds. But bringing us back closer home to Malaysia, with the withdrawals happening at EPF as well, that makes it even harder, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, look at what happened, right? We've had, I think, five EPF withdrawals so far. Lost, losing count. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's like something like 150 to 200 billion has been taken out from retirement funds. Malaysia was never the best place to retire. La. Let's just put it that way. No, in terms of um, liquidity. Well, if you have the money, no problem. If yeah. you have the money. La. <laughs> we were all like rolling up. Present company accepted. <laughs> well, so I think this is also my personal experience. Um, I've seen many people, you know, hit the retirement age. The company, of course, wants to let them go as part of a cost-cutting measure. But now they're starting to look for jobs, right? And because they haven't amply skilled themselves properly or built the necessary skill set, at 55, 60 years old, they really struggle to find the next job. But they really need to have that income runway, at least for the next 5 to 10 years. But there are also some companies who uh, is offering contract uh, to retirees. I mean, they may be like 60 years old and then they start to do an annual contract too. Yeah. Because they have the wisdom and the experience um, and you know how to do the job maybe better than, a little bit better for than sure, the younger people. Correct. Yeah, and, and these are expertise that is really valued, uh, valuable in the, to the company. But of course, uh, a lot of companies are not 
cost-cutting measure, and they have no choice but to really let them go into their retirement. Um, but of course, contract is something that definitely a lot of companies can can think about, you know, because they can think about that. And I think the company it's in the owners of the company to decide on whether they want to extend the contract. Yeah, you know, when in my old previous jobs, I was also in human resource quite a bit, and a lot of debate with unions about whether or not to extend retirement age or such. Right, unions at the time, of course, didn't want to. But I wonder if now the situation has changed. Yeah, I mean, definitely it's been a, a tough two and a half to three years. So a lot of companies can't take on an additional HR. I think a lot of people don't realise, right, that especially when they leave the workplace at, say, 50, 55, they're already so skilled, right? Mm. And companies don't want to... There's a mismatch of expectations because Singapore has realised this long ago. Yeah, These senior citizens, they're so experienced, they're so knowledgeable, but the workforce does not want them. There's a, there's a bit of ageism at play here. Yeah. A lot of people don't realise that rather than go back to the workplace and get a fixed salary, there's so many opportunities out there. I mean, for example, a friend of mine, in fact, my, my wife's cousin's husband, you know, Chinese guy in America and in the UK, very rich. He owns a chain of restaurants. I just talked to about him last night, right? He he makes a bunch of cash trading whiskey in the UK. It reminds me right? of that. And there's so many opportunities. There's so many opportunities. It reminds me so of that. Many. Yeah, it reminds me of the movie The Intern with Anne Hathaway and oh, Robert yes. De Niro. Oh, I saw yes. that. That's funny. And it, it goes to show how wisdom always trumps, you know, I think the Wasn't energy. it Robert De Niro, right? Yeah. Yes, it was. Yeah. So it was a great story. But I think this conversation about people forcing to unretire, we may have the luxury, but for many others, they may not have that. So we'll have a more discussion on that as we head into a quick break. When we come back, we'll be discussing the reverse, actually, on regret resignations. Stay tuned. BFM 89.9. That was Breathe Deeper by Tame Impala, a timely reminder if you're stuck on the highways as you return back after snacking your faces off with rye googies and cookies. It's 6.20 in the morning. You're tuned in to The Morning Run. I'm Philip C. And I'm in the wonderful, question mark, company of Kusu Chuang and Tan Chen Li. <laughs> the dubious honour. <laughs> the dubious honour. You know, guys, so early we talked about people extending their retirement age or forced to, but let's take the flip side, which is the question about having regrets when quitting a job. Now, I picked this story, to be honest, because I have to say I am a bona fide quitter. I've generally, in my past <laughs> career, like quit like my job nearly every two to three years. But you know what, I guys? I have zero regrets. Yeah, same. I've uh, been pleasantly... Um, I've, I've never, you know, regretted resigning. I've, I've, but yeah. when was the last time you did a resignation, Chong? Uh, a long time ago. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I've been on my own for the last 15 years, yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. So you can't quit on yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I'd yeah, like to. Yeah, but I guess the story kind of begs the question that especially now we've seen so much resonations, this whole thing called the great resonation as a result of this pandemic. The question is that are people coming to regret that choice that they made, you know, because of the pandemic, people think, oh, let me reflect about my life. How do I think whether I could perhaps look at things differently? And then when they try and when the, when the dream hits reality, then perhaps all these things come to roost, no? Yeah, there's this idea that employment, which is what we're talking about, a job, a stable paying salary job, right? Uh, leaving the job is is kind of like the, the holy grail because you want to go and do things on your own, you want to be in control of your destiny, and then you go out there and then you realise that it's not what you thought it was going to be. Either because the business that you started had failed yeah. or you, be, you thought you found out that resignation was not what it uh, was made out to be, right? Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of people, they they face the possible ignominy of going back to a salary job, you know, like um, because they failed in their business 
or they have uh, been forced to go back into salaried employment because their money ran out because of what's been happening in the last two years. Yeah, so according to this article that we're talking about here, which is the BBC Work Life article, so regret apparently is normal part of the process. So it's common to experience some relief and excitement shortly after resigning and then there are reports that you know people feel a tinge of regrets after that. Yep. So I guess it's just something that you have to live with because you've made that decision to resign already. So let's not go back and, you know, having all these regrets. Yeah, don't cry over spilled milk, right? Exactly. So just move on with it. And, and, you know, there's always positive and negative things that comes out of a decision. So we just have to think positively. Yeah, I want to re- reflect uh, on this theme because a lot of times we talk about people who are at the end of their careers, right? But actually a lot of people in mid-career do have these issues. I just want to cite the example yeah. of Eric Cheng. You know, Eric Cheng is the founder and major owner of Qasem. Uh, Qasem is about to go, to list, go, to go and list in America soon, I, I think, right? Um, and if you study his history, he actually has been itching to go. He had been itching to go into into, into entrepreneurship for many years already. So he was in his job. He was working in this advertising agency called uh, called Inity, right? He went there. He left. He resigned from Inity. Went and started a couple of businesses. Failed. Came back to Inity. Went stayed there for eight years and then resigned again. Started a couple of businesses. A bit fifty fifty. And then he finally hit on Kasim. And then Kasim hit it big. But Im- imagine that you know for, for someone like him who actually dropped out of university, who actually dropped out of school and uh, started his entrepreneurial journey, there was a lot of embarrassment for him. And he, in his, on his website, he talked about how he was so embarrassed because his friends were all doing well, yeah. they were making big money in corporate jobs, and he was at home, you know, his business had failed, he started a mail-order business which, which failed, he started this agency which, which, which failed as well, who made some money then failed again. But he so, was willing so to take that risk, he was willing That to take is the exactly. powerful part. Yeah. 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 So if he didn't take that step out and did that resonation, Correct. he wouldn't have eventually founded Carson. Yeah, so, so there's no bad decisions. There's there decisions, isn't. yeah. Well, so I think this is where, for me, resident, this regret is linked to expectation, right? The yeah. higher the expectations, you know, the higher the regret, in my view, that comes through. And sometimes the question is, where does the expectation come from? Is it from yourself or from the company that you're moving to? With the case you talked about, Chuang, with Eric, I think he had zero expectations, right? Because he had done so much failure, but he had so much passion and said, look, I'm yeah. willing to do the next thing and risk failure yeah. because I have zero expectations. I, I I want to do this thing and if it works, it works. If it doesn't work, look, I will always move on in life. Yeah, it's your classic risk-reward uh, equation, isn't yeah. it? The more risk you take, the higher the possibility of reward. I have high, high, <clears throat> high uh, respect for entrepreneurs actually because the risk is always so high for mm. them and a lot of them, maybe they move from a, 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 a sort of like an employment job and then they take that plunge and move into a very risky uh, entrepreneurship that you have to, you have no idea what's going to happen out of it Mm. and risking all your savings. I always have respect for them. Yeah, um, the risk in a a small way is mitigated if you're a young, energetic guy with no dependence like like, uh, Eric Cheng, right, when he was in his 20s and early 30s. But then Loy Twani, Loy Twani or Farm Fresh, right? Yes. He left his corporate job in packaging in his his 40s, right? He had kids, he had a mortgage, he had a car payment. He left it in 42 or 43 years old. Then he started with goats. He started with dragon fruit. Failed, right? And then he took a big gamble, borrowed money, bought land, and then... So finally, so yeah. but you know, seventeen years later, he's listed at two and a half billion valuation. Yes, I was actually very, very moved by his story when he yeah. told uh, when I was sitting in an investor br- uh, briefing by him one. I mean, mm. two years ago, it was very impressive. I mean, I'm just very glad that today, you know, the the theme of the conversation was meant to be, you know, whether people have regrets, and it's nice that we are veering the conversation to talk about 
cases and examples of people who are willing to take risk yeah. and have had no regrets. And this is what you talked about. And this is where you say it really is can transcend age. There's this whole perspective that perhaps as you grow older, it's harder and you might have more regrets. But this, I think, question of regret will always last, right? And I hope that many people find solace and peace with whatever decisions they make. Yeah. So on YouTube, there's tons of videos about regrets that people... So, they, you know, a lot of uh, agencies have, have interviewed people in the 80s and 90s and they talk about regrets at the end of their life, right? And a lot of people have said that I wish I'd spent more time with my children. Yeah. I wish that started that business. I wish I'd resigned my, the job which I hated, right? I wish I'd climbed that mountain. And you don't want to live with regrets the rest of your life. For sure. We definitely don't want to live with any regrets in life. We are heading into the 6.30 a.m. news bulletin. When we come back, we'll be looking at the latest international headlines coming up. A reminder for you, Chuang, The Harder They Come by Jimmy Cliff. Stay tuned to BFM 89.9. That was Maps by Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. It's 6.39 in the morning, Friday the 6th of May. You're listening to The Morning Run with Tan Chen Lee, Kusu Chuang and myself, Philip C. Now let's have a look at the stories that made international headlines this morning. Chuang, what scintillating headlines do you have for well, us? Well, we talked about jobs, we talked about resignation, we talked about retirement, right? But how about this guy, right? This guy... Walter Othman, he's 100 years old, okay? He's just recently set a Guinness World Record for spending his entire career at one company. He spent 84 years at the same company, right? So he started as a shipping assistant at this textile business called Industrious Renault. That was in 1938, the same year that Hitler invaded Austria. He's still there. <laughs> He's well, still incredible there. story. I think yeah. it, it's a story, a great story of resilience and how you dedicated to the company. I Quote wish unquote. people many, I think many aspire to have that kind of job, isn't it? Lifelong jobs. No, no. <laughs> so he was quoted as, I, I don't do much planning. I don't care much about tomorrow. All I care about is that tomorrow will be another day in which I wake up, exercise and go to work. You need to get busy with the present. That's what you said. Wonderful. Living Wonderful. day by day. Yeah. Well, Chun Li, what, what's on your docket? Uh, I'm actually on a little bit more on the serious note here because I'm looking at Bank of England, who has just issued their a very gloomy news basically because they are uh, the they they're going to raise interest rate actually to the highest level since early two thousand nine, which is from 075 percent mm. to one percent, uh, and that is because they you know there's concerns about risk uh, of recession along which is uh, to the extent of the double digit kind of number. Yeah. So just to recap, I think there's expectation that inflation will climb to ten percent in October. There's the likelihood of that a recession and definitely a prolonged period of stagnation. I think that's what's triggering a lot of concern. There's also this concern that annual GDP by 2023 is going to shrink by about 0.25%, although they do say they intend to avoid a technical recession. Do you guys think it's incongruous that central banks in developed countries around the world are hiking into a possible recession? I mean, yeah. do you know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. It, it it's a conundrum. Cal- yeah? There's a conundrum. Yeah. And in fact, in the UK, three different um, BOE governors actually uh, were hawks, Haskell, Mann and Saunders. They, were, they wanted 50 bips, but in fact, they actually just got 25. Um, mm. But, you know, ba- basically interest rates in the UK have been at zero or near zero yes. for the last 13, year- 13 years. is incredible. You know, so this whole debate of stagflation... It, there's been, what is the likelihood of that happening? And of course, people say the likelihood is quite low, probably a bit low in, in the United States, but in Europe and UK, it's a very distinct probability, isn't it? Absolutely, man. 
Yes, and I think Poland also raised their rates uh, to to expected to 4.5%, also because of inflation surge. So you're right, Chuang, that a lot of uh, countries or central banks are actually doing the same thing here because of the same fear, inflation. Yeah, I think with inflation, I think one key factor of that is uh, energy and gas supply. And I think that's, of course, been exacerbated by the Russian-Ukraine crisis. And that's why in the H newspaper, when I look uh, at page 17, I actually see two stories with respect to liquefied natural gas because Germany seems to be renting floating LNG hubs to cut its reliance on Russian gas. So they plan to charter four floating terminals to import liquefied natural gas in partnership with its utility companies to try and reduce its energy dependence on Russia. And we saw the story yesterday from Ursula von der Leyen implying or indicating that the EU wants to reduce its reliance on Russian gas. By year end, right? By year end. And and because of that news, there's a lot of eyes actually turned to OPEC on whether they're going to release more oil. But unfortunately, OPEC Plus is still going to stick to a small supply hike, which is about nominal 432,000 barrel a day and uh, for, for June. And that's all. And so a lot of people are a little bit concerned about the amount of uh, oil that is supplied in the market. So I wonder now with the question of, because in the past we've always talked about this rising price driven by robust demand. Are we seeing weakness in demand now? And perhaps it's what OPEC is kind of force, for, foreshadowing or foretelling that. Well, if you go about the activity in America, the answer is no, right? Because people have been travelling and flying all over yeah. the place. I want to talk about how Joe Biden is trying to refill, reload his strategic petroleum reserve. He's buying 60 million barrels of oil. So he basically, he's sold low and is buying back high. It's, bit, <laughs> it's, it's like crazy. But he's got to reload the, the tank. Lab, he has basically. to. And I think the challenge yeah. is that he has to also kind of provide his support to his allies. I mean, LNG, as we talked about, actually, US is actually a key exporter to them. Even uh, just building onto the LNG energy story, even China's CNOOC, CNOOC has awarded a 2.4 billion LNG tanker building contract as well. Yeah, the other thing that is happening right before our very eyes is the possibility of um, the rest of the world taking on alternative currencies. And I, I want to talk about this Jim Ricketts. Jim, so Jim Ricketts talk, wrote a book called Currency Wars about 10, 10 odd years ago. He was talking about the de-dollarization theme 10 years ago, yeah. right? So now Russia has linked the ruble to gold at a rate of 5,000 rubles to one gram of gold. So basically, they're trying to make the Russian ruble a gold-linked currency, which is interesting because America took the dollar off the gold standard in 1974. I think Richard Nixon did that, right? Which is then which then saw the decline in the value of, of the dollar. And then China is discussing with Saudi Arabia the prospect of paying for oil in yuan. So many. So, so yeah. yeah. So it's this this whole alternative uh, way of paying for for resources in. Yeah. non-dollar-backed currencies. That's, that's interesting. So many interesting developments happening on currency, like, for example, even cryptocurrency, where we saw recently California thinking and planning to adopt cryptocurrency as well. But that's all the time we have now for internet for our international news. It's 6.44 in the morning, and we come back, we'll be looking at today's local headlines. Keep it here, BFM 89.9. That was Trouble by Lindsay Buckingham. A timely reminder, perhaps, that sometimes it's good to have a little bit of trouble in our lives, isn't it? It's currently 6.49 in the morning. You're listening to The Morning Run. And right now, we're looking at all the latest news in Malaysia. Chun Li, what caught your eye? I'm looking at my old shop, CIMB. <laughs> Who has Your the... old shop. <laughs> well, they're, we're, well, after Omar, uh, Omar Siddiq has left uh, the Do CEO HSBC? position. Sorry, Do yes, HSBC? to HSBC. Um, so they're vac- the 
the host of banking CEO role has been vacant for a while. And there are rumors, you know, it's just a rumor for now that there is a, potentially there will be a split of two CEOs uh, to hit this wholesale banking role. And one of them is actually Novan Amirudin, who is coming from JP Morgan. And the other one, of course, is the uh, Chu Kok Wei, who is been in CIMB for the longest time. Um, so this is interesting and they're going to split their role. Uh, so Chukawe will still hit the treasury business and Amirudin will be, uh, sorry, Novan will be um, heading the uh, the wholesale bank, overseeing the corporate and investment banking business. So are they, are they basically two CEOs with the same portfolio or they different, have a different portfolio. Different portfolio. So because actually, wholesale banking is relatively yes. big. So they split the, the business up. That's right. And divided it, divided it up. Because we've seen a lot of two CEO, double CEO roles, haven't we? Like yes. in Brajaya and such come through. And even in globally, Deutsche Bank in the past also had double CEOs in their different investment banking portfolios. Yeah, yeah that wholesale banking business is, uh, I think, the biggest contributor to PBT in, uh, in CIMB. So yeah, there's three based divisions, Based on last right? year, correct. Yeah, corporate treasury and markets. Um, and IB. I, I think I, the thing is CIMB has kind of like fallen down the league, league tables right in deals, especially uh, in IPOs the last few years. Yeah, if so, I were to put on the CIMB cap, I'm going to tell you, uh, depends on what. <laughs> I see. So, so, yeah, depends on what size of issuances, what, right? Yes, yeah. yes, depends on what, what product you're looking well, at. Well, it's very interesting to see how the corporate banking sector outlook looks like here in Malaysia as we see volatile markets across the board. Chuang, any stocks or counters caught your eye? Yeah, so this is also from the HCO brief. And uh, for Velfavco, the crane manufacturer um, is paying a record 85 cent dividend. Okay, so it's going to cost the company, I think, nearly 200 million ringgit. And guess what? The biggest shareholder of Velfavco with a 61% shake is, uh, stake is Muhiba, Muhiba Engineering. So Muhiba has been losing the money the last three years at a net level, and they will make a nice 120 million ringgit windfall. Uh, from this uh, record dividend. I mean, what is driving this record dividend, I wonder? Because they have been quite generous uh, dividend uh, providers, haven't they, in the past? Yeah, I mean, they've been paying dividends since at least 2006. And typically, it's about, you know, between basically... Uh, well, in the last five years, between 10 and 15, 16 cents. But then now it's 85 cents, right? So, yeah, you've got to ask yourself what, why this record dividend at the time and basic construction uh, might be at a bit of a, you know, uh, standstill. Not standstill, yeah. but... Challenging times. Ch- challenging I times, I think you right. kind of want to pri- provide some buffer to your cap- cap- liquidity and That's capital right. requirements. Right. And just moving to another challenging sector, you know, the question I always ask is, why did the chicken cross the road? And I guess this time it's to avoid basically the exposure into poultry and egg counters listed on Bursa Malaysia. Because we've seen a whole spate of privatizations with LTKM and Sinmar Capital. And this is a result of the poultry industry crying foul. Yeah, and <laughs> following the government's move to extend price controls on chicken and eggs under the Malaysian Family Maximum Price Control Scheme. And it's interesting to see that five years ago, there were 13 poultry and egg companies listed. And then today, there are only 11. And there's two that is actually mulling a privatization. So is there getting the players that seems to be diminishing here? Yeah, you have the double whammy, right? You have the government imposing these price controls. At the same time, cost is rising. You see fertilizer, maize control, which is the typical feed for poultry, also un- rising sub- substantially. Corn as well. So you can't translate and push the cost price over to the consumer and that's putting a lot of pressure. Not well, yeah. talking about pressures, there's this idea from the economists surveyed by the, by, by, by the edge that um, because I think Bank Nagara was expected to raise rates sometime in the, th- the third quarter, well, because the Fed has been uh, a lot more hawkish than, um, than expected, and now we've seen the Bank of England also raise by 25 bips, um, there's this idea now that Bank Nagara might raise earlier than expected. Yeah, correct. We had the conversation yesterday, right, about potential what they call calibration, expecting one OPR rate hike. I think that's also the centerpiece here. You know, Chong, you 
rightly pointed out, every all the other central banks are following suit. We saw Australia, India, and as you said yesterday, the United Kingdom as well raising rates. Yeah, I think I saw yesterday on Bloomberg uh, from the economic forecast, Malaysia is supposed to grow 6.1% uh, next year. That's a lot better than other developed countries. But it seems weird that the central banks around the world are raising rates into what is essentially a recessionary period. So as soon as they raise rates... Uh, hard lending, everybody crashes and then they drop rates again. You expect that to happen maybe in the medium term? Yeah, so the projection that um, possibly Bank Nagara will raise OPR rate by maybe 25 basis points in the second half of the year, uh, which is something definitely that we have to actively look into because if Fed is increasing rate on a monthly basis and then and over here, if we're not increasing any rates, our currency would definitely be uh, affected over here or impacted. Correct. Just to give us some context, it was in January 2019, OPR levels were at 3.25%. They now stand at 1.75%. And they've been that case since mid-June. I think the Bank Bank Negara, I think, dropped it from 3% in January 2021, all the way down to 1.75% in response, I think, to the challenging situation driven by the pandemic. Now the question is whether they need to reverse that course. It is it's now 6.55 in the morning. We're heading into the 7 a.m. news bulletin. And when we come back, we'll be looking at how markets closed yesterday. Stay tuned. BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.